Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, we're gonna jump right in today. First Kings chapter one, beginning in verse five. First Kings chapter one, beginning in verse five. I'm gonna let you know, we're gonna read a whole lot of Bible today. All right, that's not an apology. I'm just setting the expectation right now. I'm also gonna be jumping around uh, throughout First Kings one. So you'll wanna try to hang with me. And if you're slow flipping, just look on the screen, all right? 1 Kings 1.5. About that time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, never disciplined him at any time. Even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom and he was very handsome. Skipping on to verse nine. Adonijah went to the stone of Zoleth near the spring of Enrogel where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves. He invited all of his brothers, the other sons of King David, all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the king's bodyguard or his brother Solomon. Verse 11, Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, haven't you heard that Haggith's son, Adonijah, has made himself the king and our Lord David doesn't even know about it? If you were to save your own life in the life of your son, follow my advice. Go at once to King David and say to him, my Lord, the King, didn't you make a vow to me that your son Solomon would surely be the next King and sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become the King? And while you're still talking with him, I will come and confirm everything that you have said. Verse 29, and the King repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 41, Adonijah and his guests heard celebrating and shouting just as they were finishing their banquet. When Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn, he asked what's going on and why is the city in such an uproar? And while he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest arrived. Come in, Adonijah said, for you are a good man and you have good news. Not at all, Jonathan replied. Our Lord King David has just declared Solomon king. Verse 49. Then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up with panic from the banquet table and quickly scattered. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he rushed to the sacred tent and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. 
word soon reached Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, let King Solomon swear they will not kill me. Solomon replied, if he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah and brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him saying, go on home. Pray with me now. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for the word of God. We believe that every page was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And today we ask that you would illuminate it right before our eyes. We ask that you'd be strong in my weakness and make ready the hearts of men to receive the word of truth. Lord, do what only you can do. Mold us and shape us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So just to give you a little more context, into 1 Kings chapter one. This is obviously a powerful story about the end of King David's reign. He was becoming old in age, his power was diminishing, and his sons saw a opportunity to seize power. Adonijah, though he was not the firstborn or even the rightful heir to David's throne, decided to anoint himself as the next king. He threw a huge coronation banquet celebrating himself. He hired the best influencers and entourage to go before him to look the part. And he professed himself to be the king. But in the middle of his celebration, word got to Nathan the prophet and to Bathsheba, mother of Solomon, that Adonijah had proclaimed himself the king. So immediately they went to King David and tried to stop this effort. They reminded David of a solemn vow that he made many years prior that Solomon would be the heir to his throne. Long story short, David moves quickly and installs Solomon as the king of Israel. People in the streets of Jerusalem begin shouting, rejoicing and celebrating. And this was coinciding near the end of Adonijah's banquet. Adonijah, when he hears the cheers of the crowd and immediately thinks it's about him. But then news comes that actually they're not celebrating him. They're celebrating the reign of the new king, Solomon. This grips Adonijah and everybody at his banquet with immense fear because the reality was this was an act of treason, proclaiming yourself king. So Adonijah and all the people with him, they scatter and run in a million different directions. And Adonijah, according to the Bible, he runs to the altar where he clings on to the very horns of the altar itself, pleading for Solomon's mercy. Then he's brought before Solomon. And though he deserves death for being a traitor, instead, he finds great mercy. That's the recap of 1 Kings chapter one. And over the next few moments today, we're gonna work our way right through this text. I will warn you that some of the points might feel a little unrelated, but instead of preaching a polished sermon today, I'm just gonna preach the word right as it is and we're gonna work our way down it. Is that good with you? All right. So the first thing I wanna show you out of 1 Kings 
is we got to stay humble. Tell your neighbor with some attitude, stay humble. Man, it would have done Adonijah a whole lot of good to listen to this sermon. Stay humble, bro. Like the very basic principle of the scripture is to walk in humility. This totally was missed on Adonijah as he anoints himself the king. Listen to James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says this, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The scripture teaches us that it's not our responsibility to self-promote or to make a way for ourselves. The reality is we are to humble ourselves, remain faithful, remain humble and true. And in God's timing, he will exalt us and use us for his glory at his time. This is an evil thing to be so self-centered that you have to make your own way through arrogance, pride, and self-exaltation. I find it ironic that the very brother who chased the throne didn't get it, but Solomon, who stayed faithful in his lane, is the one who was anointed the king. There's a powerful principle here, church, and that is this, don't pursue the crown, pursue the king. You see, the crown represents a position, a title, a role, authority. And sadly, many of us, even well-intended, get caught up chasing the wrong things. We set our eyes on that promotion, that position, that authority that we long and aspire for. But the truth is, if you exalt yourself and you chase the crown, it will very likely elude you. But scripture says, if you'll seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness, he will supply your every need according to his riches and glory. Don't chase the crown, chase the king. And by the way, what good is the throne if you don't have God and his presence with you? Listen, it's a dangerous thing to idolize positions and prestige and the respect of people. May our God always be the Lord himself and may we never become idolaters chasing a position or power. By the way, his presence is our ultimate prize and our ultimate reward. You're gonna get the position and you'll find that it's empty. It's not gratifying or fulfilling. Nothing is enough to satisfy the human soul but the presence of the Lord himself. So listen, don't exalt yourself because you're gonna get humbled. Adonijah crowned himself the king, threw himself a party, which is kind of sad. And in the middle of his banquet, they start celebrating another king. And what started in pride and arrogance that banquet ended in tragedy and in despair, utter humiliation for Adonijah. I promise you, people made fun of him for a very long time after that, okay? So don't crown yourself king. Now, hey, just a little practical application because chances are you're not trying to become the king of a province or territory, but if you are, we'll pray for you. Um, some practical application though is don't talk about yourself all the time. Like this is, just, this is just for free for somebody out there who needs to hear it. 
I've actually had meetings with people before in the church and we'll set up like an hour meeting and for literally 59 minutes straight, they'll tell me everything about them, all their accolades, their success. And like, while it's interesting, the last minute I'll say, now what again can I do to help? How can I help you? You know, like I'm not real sure what to do with all that. So the truth is don't promote yourself, stay humble, stay faithful, and let the Lord God Almighty, let him exalt you, all right? By the way, we should take genuine interest in others and look for ways to encourage others. And instead of talking about ourselves, let's take genuine interest in the people around us. Let's edify them, build them up, and encourage them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says it this way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. Listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. You don't have to put yourself down and be like, I'm the most worthless human on earth. Like that, that's false humility. All right, don't be doing that. But instead of putting yourself down, just don't think about yourself all the time. Talk about other people. Edify and encourage others. Jesus taught us in Luke 14 that if you get invited to a wedding, that you should look for the worst seat at the table and go sit there. Because if somebody more important comes and you're at the prominent table, they'll be like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, thanks for being here and everything, but can you go to the kid table over there in the back, you know, with the fold-out chair and the plastic seat? Anybody grow up with a kid's table at grandma's house? Like four of you? Okay, I'll pray for them. Like, those are like good memories, right? But like, I remember the first day I graduated from the kid's table. I was like, y'all have real plates? Like, I, I can sit here? Like, my paraphrase is Jesus is saying, hey, when you get invited, don't go and take the best seat in the room. No, you go sit yourself at the kid's table. And eventually the host is going to say, hey, you know what? What are you doing over there? Come on over here and be my honored guest. It's so much better for them to elevate you than for you to have to be demoted because you exalted your own self. The moral is make room for others. Make room for somebody else. The world says to be great in the world's eyes, you got to climb the ladder. You got to step on people and over people. You got to exalt yourself. You got to make this thing happen. But Jesus taught us that the kingdom of heaven is the polar opposite. It works in reverse. The greatest in the kingdom are the servants, those who wash the feet of others, those who make room and, and serve other people. That is who Jesus deems the greatest. All right. Now, one more thing on humility really fast is that humility is the mark of a person who's been with Jesus. Like in the Bible, I promise you, when people encountered God, they did not leave arrogant. They didn't leave going, you know what? I really am the man. No, no, like the only person who was arrogant in God's presence was Satan. And that didn't work out too well for him. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter said, Lord, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I'm a sinful man. The presence of God is a humbling thing. Humility is the mark of people who have been with the master. Second major point of the sermon is looks can be deceiving. 
Tell your neighbor, looks can be deceiving. Adonijah was a master of the superficial. He knew how to leverage his image to manipulate people. Adonijah looked like a king and he was really the inventor of fake it till you make it. Adonijah said, if I'm gonna be king, I gotta look like one. If I'm gonna be king, I gotta dress like one. The Bible says in 1 Kings 1 that he hired an entourage okay, of influencers. He's like looking for people with the blue check mark. Yeah, you come hang with me, okay, before Instagram. Um, he also invented the motorcade, okay? So we owe a lot to Adonijah. He said, we're gonna get some camels and chariots and y'all go get out in front of me and then I'm gonna come behind you, right? <laughs> That's, I'm just talking Bible, all right? Because the people in Jerusalem were like, oh man, who, who, look at all these chariots and camels and stuff. Who is that? Oh, that's Adonijah. He must be important. He was a master of the image, a master of the superficial. And the danger is it almost worked. It almost truly got him the throne. The Bible also says he was handsome. Those are the Bible's words, not mine. (laughs) In all honesty, I'm still amazed and how many Christians fall for fake people. I'm amazed and borderline frustrated at how many true Christians are victimized by believing fake things. False teachers are the master of superficial. They are the masters of leveraging their image and appearance to manipulate you and your money. I have seen pastors with my own eyes, be brazenly arrogant, ignore the Bible altogether, be infatuated with themselves and with money, take advantage of people, and nobody seems to care or notice because they look like they're holy and they sound like they're holy and people become enamored with the appearance and with the image and so they blindly follow. I'm warning you, Vision Church, don't fall for fake. Just because somebody looks right, sounds right, doesn't mean they're from God. Satan is the master deceiver. He appeared as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come to you with horns and a pitchfork trying to stab you. And be like, ah, like, no, no, he's like beautiful. <laughs> Scripture says that he's beautiful. He's, he's, he was one of the most alluring, illustrious angels. He brought deception. You have to be careful. Evil doesn't always look evil. And while I'm here, eloquence is not a gift of the spirit. Well, let me talk to you. <laughs> Just because they can string words together and quote Bible most time they're quoting themselves, but just because they're eloquent doesn't mean they're anointed. No disrespect, but I got people I watch on the news that are eloquent, but they ain't bringing the good news, all right? Can I get away? Nothing against the news. Don't send me an email, all right? But I'm just saying, like, just because they can talk don't mean they're anointed. So don't fall victim to that. The apostle Paul said, I can't even string a sentence together. In fact, I prefer it that way. That way it's Christ's glory that is manifest through my life, not my eloquence. Three people. (laughs) I'm just, 
I'm warning you that appearances aren't always what they seem. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord God said, I do not see men the way you see men. Samuel, the high priest, walked in to anoint the next king of Israel, and he immediately looked at the tallest, most handsome jawline guy. He's like, yeah, that one. That one looks like a king. I'm going to pray for that one. And mid-prayer, the Lord rebukes him. And the Lord says, Samuel, when are you going to realize I don't look at people the way you look at people? You're looking at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Be careful that you don't fall victim to the superficial images, the eloquence of men. May we look deeper at their heart. And I know you can't see their heart. So the Bible said, you'll know a man by their fruit. What is fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. It's listed in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit. But there's also good fruit and there's also bad fruit, selfishness arrogance, the love of self, the love of money. There are bad fruits if you're just paying attention. Don't fall for the fake things in this world and don't judge people the way men judge them. Listen, do you know who else was a master of the superficial? Pharisees. Jesus said it this way. To paraphrase for the sake of time, it's in Matthew 23. I would encourage you to read it. Here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He said, you are like a cup and a dish. And on the outward appearance, you seem to be holy and you seem to be righteous. But on the inside, you're filthy and you're disgusting. And I would spew you out of my mouth. He went on to say, you're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you are beautiful but on the inside, you are full of impurity, death and decay. I know you fooled people by the facade and the appearance, but inwardly, God has not been fooled or mocked. He sees what is really within your heart. You can fool people, but you cannot fool God. And this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, if you would clean the inside of the cup and the dish, the outside will take care of itself. In other words, Jesus is saying, stop trying to modify your behavior to appease men. Stop trying to look the part outwardly. And if you'd put a fraction of the energy you put into maintaining your image, into actually surrendering your heart and being vulnerable and repentant before a holy God, then he would change your heart. And as he changes your heart and your desires, the outside, your exterior begins to change along with it. Let me warn you something. There are many people, even in this church, they'll come in here Sunday after Sunday. They'll look the part. They'll sing the lyrics. They'll raise their hand at a 45 degree angle at the right time in the song. But it's all for nothing because they're truly not following Jesus with their heart and with their life. They look the part, but they're empty on the inside. Let me tell you something. God cares far more about how you live when nobody else is watching than how you appear on Sunday morning. It's called integrity. It's called integrity. If we would clean the inside, the outside will take care of itself. I'm gonna help you evaluate your own heart. You ready? 
And at this point, I'm gonna be pulling right up in your driveway, annoying everybody. So it's hard to be an honest, adequate judge of ourselves. Because the truth is, a lot of times when we look at ourselves, we see what we wanna see. And we admit what we wanna admit. But I want you to listen to this. The scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So let me ask you a few questions. And I don't intend to get legalistic here, so don't take it that way. Number one, if we were to look at your browser history, what would it say about what's in your heart? I would dare to say that your browser history is a mirror that's showing you what's really inside. Okay, what about how you spend your money? Scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart is. You can say that you love the Lord, but do you give to him? Do you trust him with your finances? I'm not, we already taken the offering, so don't get nervous. <laughs> but what does your money say about where your heart is? Is it on yourself? In entertainment? Is it about the lust of more money? What is your browser history? What is your bank account? My bank account says I go to Chick-fil-A way too much. My bank account would accuse me of being a glutton. Pray for me, right? Okay, Jesus, take the wheel. All right, something about that fried chicken, Lord, in Jesus' name. Anyway, but like, what does your browser history, what is your bank account? Oh, and here, I'm coming for the rest of you. What, is your, what do your DM conversations say about what's really in your heart? Like, if we were just to post your, your DMs, like the messages that nobody else sees, the ones in the private folder, like if we just looked at those right here, what would it say about what's really going on inside of you? See, I know you look holy. I know you look righteous, but God is not fooled. What is really going on in your heart? Listen, vain repet repetition and vain going through the motions of religion will not save you. You must be born again. Your life changed and transformed, repenting of your sin, making Jesus truly the king of your life. Listen, following Jesus does not mean you'll be perfect, but it means your life will change. It's no longer about self, but it's about Christ. Next point. Can I get an amen? Somebody's like, thank God he's moving on. <laughs> I don't say these things to condemn you, but I do say these things to shine a brilliant light right into your heart. This may sound like judgment, but actually it's mercy. Sin exposed on this side of eternity offers conviction and repentance and restoration. Just, that, there you go, good morning. Third point is found in verse six. If you love your children, discipline them. All the parents in the back say, amen, preach, preacher. <laughs> Like, honestly, like, have you ever just stopped and thought about Adonijah? Okay, maybe not till today, but think about Adonijah. What's wrong with this dude, man? Like, you're crowning yourself the king? Throwing yourself a party? Go a parade out here? Like, you're orchestrating it yourself? Homie has problems. Okay, but verse six tells us where they came from. It says that though David was a mighty king, he was a weak father. And he never disciplined his son ever. I wonder, are you a mighty entrepreneur and a weak father? I know you may be great at business. 
might be a boss, CEO, CFO, whatever title. And that's nice and good. But what's more important is what kind of parent are you? What kind of father, what kind of mother are you? Because let me talk, let's talk about legacy for a minute. Legacy is not what you leave behind, it's who you leave behind. And I'm gonna dare to say something far more valuable than money you could leave your children is teaching them how to have integrity and character and truly follow after Jesus. That's more valuable than any amount of money you could ever leave them. Proverbs 13, 24 says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Like I hear people say, well, you know, like I don't wanna discipline them because I love them so much. And you conf you're confusing your compassion with mercy, but actually you're setting them up for failure. The reason that Adonijah was such a messed up selfish dude is because nobody ever corrected him. He thought life was about him. He thought he was the center of the universe and everything he wanted, he always got it, including the throne. The best thing you can do for your children is correct them. And by the way, the people on YouTube get real mad at me for saying this. They're born sinners. <laughs> like People are like, they're not born sinners. You calling my baby a sinner? Yeah, I'm calling your baby a sinner. You, because the Bible calls them sinners. The scripture says from the sin of Adam, a sinful nature reigned throughout all humanity. We preach in Bible. You don't think the kids are sinners? Then just go volunteer and vision kids for just half a Sunday. You don't even need to spend the whole Sunday. Just like a half a service. You'll come out and say, he's preaching truth. He's, he, they, they, they're sinners, right? Listen, you don't have to teach a child to be bad. You have to teach a child to be good because being bad comes natural. I got two. They sinners. <laughs> Believe it. They're cute, but they sinners. And the Bible says that we should correct them and discipline them. Now, let me say this before you send me an email. We are not advocating child abuse. You should never hurt or wound or leave a mark on a child. You never should harm your child, okay? But sometimes words may not be enough. I whip mine. The admin team was Googling in between services. Is that legal to say? They, they thought I was going to jail. Like, you know what I mean? But I'm like, hey, and nobody was injured in the making of this sermon. But some little attitudes got corrected. And don't discipline your children when you're angry. Because that's, that is a sure way to sin. Calm down. Let cooler heads prevail. Instruct them. But you know what? When you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. And the Bible says, correct your children if you love your children. Anybody agree? And even if you don't, it's still true. Okay. Um, you know, can, but in, can, can we go just a layer deeper real fast? Layer deeper. David was a weak father because he had a weak father. In fact, the Bible tells us that David's daddy, Jesse, wasn't all that good of a dude. In fact, Jesse overlooked David, forgot about him, didn't think he was gonna amount to much. And listen, David had an excuse 
to be a weak father. He could have said, well, you know, my daddy was a bad example. I didn't have a good example. So what can you expect out of me? There's two ways you can look at this church. And I pray you hear me. You can't do anything about what happened to you in your past. And you're not responsible for what happened to you. But you are responsible for what you do with it today. Your perspective can change. Your attitude can change. Your outlook can change. And let me, might I say, sometimes in life, we learn more from what people did wrong than what people did right. So instead of saying, well, because my daddy was an alcoholic, I'll always be an alcoholic and his daddy was, instead of making an excuse and being a victim, why don't you make up your mind that your dysfunction stops with you? Why don't you make up your mind that I'm not gonna put my children through what I went through? What if you make up your mind that I'm gonna learn from what went wrong and I'm gonna be the best dad, the best mom I possibly can be and that, that dysfunction stops with me. And let me also say this too, we are inclined to repeat the sins of our parents if we're not intentional. You cannot parent on autopilot. You can't be married on autopilot. You have to be actively engaged and invested in your spiritual walk and in the lives of those around you. I'm gonna do a relationship and marriage parenting series in 2024. You, you down with that? Okay, good, because we're gonna do it. Fourth major point in the sermon, I'm not gonna preach forever, don't get nervous, but this one is super important. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. Don't ask God to bless your will. I'll say it one more time for everybody in the back. Don't ask God to bless your will. Oh, and that's what Adonijah, that's what he did. Adonijah, this is what he did. Listen to what he did. Not only did he proclaim himself king, not only did he throw a processional parade and a banquet and all that, he had the audacity, listen, the audacity to get a whole bunch of oxen, sheep, and take them to an altar and sacrifice them in the name of the Lord as an act of worship that God would bless his reign. Now, at first glance, we say, well, yeah, Adonijah, that's a good thing, brother. Worship the Lord, sacrifice for the Lord. Yeah, but look closer. What Adonijah is really doing is he's saying, hey, Lord, I want you to bless my plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Be careful that you don't orchestrate your own destiny and your own plan and then ask God to bless it. Let me ask you a question. Are you following Jesus or are you asking Jesus to follow you? Oh, I'm preaching. I'm talking to you now. Because if we're all being honest, we've all been there. And we've all said, well, Lord, I know your word says this, but I really want to do this. Listen, Adonijah loved God, just not more than he loved himself. Oh, I hope you hear me. Did you hear what I just said to you? Adonijah, he loved the Lord, just not more than he loved him. I know some of you may be sitting here saying, no, I love the Lord. I love you, Jesus. But do you love you more than you love Jesus? Because if you do, it's called idolatry. Somebody has to love you enough to tell you this. Okay? You, there shall be no other gods before him. 
Whatever you love more, whatever you prioritize more, that is your God. And yes, you can crown yourself God and king of your own life, but it won't end well for you. Don't ask God to bless your plan. Let me tell you, let me bring it home because some of you still looking at me like I'm in outer space. You know that girl that isn't saved and doesn't know Jesus, but she's fine? Listen, that's a funny joke. It's already worked three times, okay? It's, I, I test these jokes. Before I say them here, you've already laughed. The other services have proven that it's funny. So the problem's not with me, it's with you. You don't laugh. Okay, but no, seriously. How many of you know you've been in the wrong relationship with a person that doesn't bring you closer to Jesus? You know it's wrong. You feel that it's wrong, but you go ahead and pray and say, Lord, I just need you to bless this because I really like her. Listen, don't do what Adonijah did and make your own plan and then ask God to bless it. You know how to save your life from that? Pray before you act. I know it's simple and you were waiting for something more profound, but it's pray first. Because if Adonijah had prayed before he coronated himself king, he would have heard from the Lord that he's just as valuable and just as loved by God as Solomon. But he had a different role to play in his kingdom. Moving on. God turns evil for good. Anybody believe that? That God can take what the enemy meant for evil and he can use it for good? I'm gonna give you one example of that really quickly. The Bible says that Solomon's mama was a woman named Bathsheba. That name ring a bell? You remember Bathsheba? David messed up. And one day on the terrace of his palace, he looked out, saw a woman. He said, I like her. I don't care if she's married. I'm going to have her. That relationship began in an adulterous affair. She became pregnant. So David killed her husband to cover his own sin. You see, sin always begets more sin. It's never one sin. It one turns into five. That situation that the enemy meant for evil. God took those people, redeemed them and restored them. And now later, that relationship that began an affair now had been reconciled through marriage. And now they gave birth to a young man named Solomon who would one day become the heir to David's throne, anointed, chosen by God to reign in all of Israel. God takes broken things and broken people and he orchestrates them for their good and his glory. Romans 8 says, I make all things work together for the good of those who are called and who love me and are called according to my purpose. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made all things beautiful in his time. He's a God who restores and takes broken things and makes something beautiful out of us. Even yet, God takes what Satan meant for evil and he turns it for his good. In closing, Adonijah is one of those frustrating, annoying Bible characters to me. Like I read this and I'm like, bro, really? Like, <laughs> what? Crowning yourself king, 
throwing a banquet, a parade, a processional, a motorcade, like you're going all out for you. Completely disregarding your father, completely disregarding your brother. What's wrong with you? Anybody else annoyed with Adonijah? Like three of you? You three are right. Like I get, I look at him and I'm like, man, this guy is messed up. But you know what? In the story, Adonijah represents you and me. I know you want to be Solomon, anointed king with the calling and the destiny. I know you want to be David with the mercy and the majesty, but really, we're not the hero in the story. We're the selfish one, self-centered, crowning ourselves king of our own lives. Adonijah is us. You see, every time you sin, you're saying, oh no, I'm the king of my own life. Lord, I know your word says this, but my way is better. Every time we willfully turn from God's plan, every time we willfully premeditated sin, we are literally doing the same thing spiritually that Adonijah did. We are crowning ourselves king and ruler of our own life. And let me warn you, that did not end well for Adonijah and it will not end well for you. Proverbs says there's a way before every man that seems to be right, but it ends in death. You are not the king, you are not the creator and neither am I. God's way is better. It may seem more difficult. It may seem more costly. It may look like it's the difficult path, but God's way is better. And he is the king of all kings. Can I get a witness of somebody who believes today that God's way is better? I want you to look at this. I want you to see the gospel in 1 Kings 1. We are Adonijah the sinful, selfish people that have crowned ourselves king of our own life. The moment Adonijah realized that there was a greater king and that he was not him, he was overcome by fear because he realized for the first time that he was a sinner in deserving of judgment and the wrath of the king. What did he do when the banquet abruptly ended and the people scattered? Adonijah ran to the altar and the Bible says he clinged to it for mercy. The Bible tells us in the book of Numbers that the altar was the place of asylum, the place of safety, the place of refuge, that even if a convicted criminal, even if someone was a traitor, guilty of the highest degree of treason, even the guilty could find mercy if they could make it to the altar before their accusers found them. And if you're not following with me yet, that altar represents the cross of Calvary on Golgotha. As Jesus Christ hung suspended between heaven and earth, that cross became our altar. And every guilty man and woman, guilty of treason in the highest degree, we, though guilty, can find refuge and mercy if we will cling to that altar. If we will cling to that old rugged cross, we will find mercy for our souls. Don't you see the gospel? It's in plain view. Not only did Adonijah find mercy by clinging 
to the altar, which represents the cross. He also found mercy in the presence of the king. Adonijah was one day brought from that altar to the feet of Solomon, representing one day we'll go from the cross to the seat of judgment, the great white throne of judgment. And in that moment, Solomon had every right to execute Adonijah. He had every right to murder him, to humiliate him, to pour out his unrestrained wrath on him. But instead, Solomon's first act as king was not to build the temple, was not to activate a social policy to alleviate the suffering of the afflicted. His first act as king was to give mercy to the guilty, to his enemies. Anybody see Jesus in that? We sinned not just against ourselves, but against the maker of heaven and earth and against his son, the Lord Jesus. We deserve his wrath and judgment. We stand before him guilty and condemned. But thanks to the cross of Calvary, he extends to us mercy that we do not deserve. I wish I get somebody that would praise the Lord with me today. One more thing I saw in this. Solomon said to Adonijah, he said, if you betray me and you remain my enemy, you will die. He said, but if you'll follow me, if you'll surrender to me, not a hair on your head will ever be harmed. Solomon drew a line and he said, Adonijah, you're either gonna be my enemy or you're gonna be my son, my brother. There's no in-between. Every one of you in this building, every one of you watching online, you are either God's enemy or you're his son. You're either gonna choose him, allow him to reign as the king of your life, or you're gonna be your own king and your own God. The choice is yours. One way leads to death, the other life everlasting. Pray with me now all over this place and find mercy at the altar. Find grace at the hand of the king. Pray with me now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sin. We acknowledge the error of our ways. And like Adonijah, we have crowned ourselves the king of our own lives. God, have mercy and forgive us for our lust, our pride, our greed, and our selfish ambition. Forgive us for going through the motions of Christianity, looking the part, but on the inside, far from you. We ask for mercy today, and we're thankful for the cross of Calvary and the blood of Jesus that was spilled to take away the sin of the world. And today we believe that on that cross, he died and was buried. And on that third day, he rose from the grave, triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. He's the resurrection. He is the life. And his empty tomb and resurrection is my blessed assurance that he can save my soul eternally. Jesus, be my King and be my Lord. Help this to not be lip service, but may it transform me at the depths of who I am. May I serve you all the days of my life. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. 
We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Thank you.